Fall Asleep with Henrik is a most wondrous and enchanting podcast, intended to lull you into a deep slumber. Know that you need not exert yourself in listening to the words, for each episode is fashioned after a dream, wherein coherence waxes and wanes and twists and turns. Be not overly concerned with its meaning, for it simply exists for what it is. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Fall Asleep with Henrik, the podcast that's doing its best to be a relaxing and entertaining escape from the world. Whether you're looking for a distraction or just want to drift off to sleep, this podcast is perfect for you. My name is Henrik and I'm your host, a resident of Stockholm, Sweden. With over 600,000 monthly listens, this podcast's Swedish equivalent has become a popular choice for those seeking a break from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. I'll be talking about a mix of interesting and mundane topics. Just like that friend who would stay over when you were a child and kept talking until you fell asleep. You don't have to actively listen to this podcast. Just press play and let me do the talking. If you like what you hear, please leave a review or comment and share it with your friends. Follow me on YouTube or Instagram for updates and more. And remember, my mantra for this podcast. It is what it is. What happens, happens. And right now, there's nothing we can do about it. Let's begin. Thank you. 
every time I start up, I usually, I usually set my clock to one hour, so, so I know when an hour has passed. Because one of the pillars in this podcast, I like to throw around words like pillars because this is a very pillarless project. It feels more stable if I say there are pillars. One of the pillars is that I have to keep going for an hour and I can't stop before an hour has passed. And then you usually set the timer so that it comes as a little vibration when an hour has passed. But every time I start the clock timer, I almost always accidentally turn on the workout app instead. So I'm faced with a choice, a classic strength, traditional strength training or indoor or outdoor walking. Because that's what I do most of all, I mean, when I'm working out. And then I always feel a sting of, I guess it's stress then, because I should be lifting something heavy instead. But then I usually comfort myself that this is training, a different kind of training. It's training for the government-mentioned jaw. That is, my jaw. Your jaw would be passive in this. It would be really weird if you were also lying and talking at the same time as I am. That is, in the same frequency and scope as I am doing now during this hour. If you were keeping a monologue at the same time as I, as I, I talked, but what do I know? It might give you something to do, so I shouldn't be the one to judge such a approach. I've said over and over again that it's completely free to do whatever you want with this podcast from a listening perspective. When you... When you take the train. So where did I go now? When you take a train, when you step on a night train. If you suddenly open your eyes and find yourself on a platform. So you are in the middle of the center of events in some way. Train trips are very rarely something equivalent to watching a series on Netflix, even though you sometimes watch series on Netflix when you take the train. I will think of the train I have. I have an image of a train in front of me. On my computer right now. I've paused. Sometimes when I'm going to sleep and sometimes also when I'm having my afternoon coffee, I like to watch clips from a channel called Sync Size, such as then clips from the game Red Dead Redemption 2. And then the series I'm watching is called Fails and Funnies from Red Dead Redemption 2. And because I've played that game a lot, I find such clips really fun to watch when I don't want to think about anything else. And I've probably paused a clip from there. And a picture on the screen shows an old-fashioned steam locomotive from the 1800s. So I think this train should be in the episode. Well, I guess we'll see, but I can start there because I'm feeling a bit uninspired right now. It's empty like a hollowed-out avocado in my fantasy room. The room that is located in the innermost rooms where I am untouched, unreachable. And the thought of it is so nice that there is a place within one that is 
impossible to break into, the untouchable place within one. I'm so worried about what others around me do, feel, think and are. I don't know what they're thinking, but what I think they're thinking. I have a very hard time being at the gym, for example, when there are a lot of people. Because yes, I can't help but feel stressed that someone is sitting close to me and struggling with a heavy weight, for example. I become... I immerse myself in the person's experience and then I get tired and angry and... or feel stressed and so... I have a very hard time shutting the world out and therefore an, an inner room, really, an, an attractive thought. If I were to fantasize about stepping on the train that I have in front of me now, inside, how it must happen right now, this event, does it play out purely physiologically inside my motionless chamber? This studio is a little like my motionless chamber. I think it feels a little like that. Sometimes when we have guests, I like to show them what it looks like in here. Uh, and it's just right now, or just these months. It's been pretty messy in here because I also make videos in here, so I have moved around lights and stuff. And then, so it doesn't look as nice as you might expect. It's pretty messy in here right now. And that's a reflection of myself, you could say. So when I invite people in here who want to see where I, where I work, it often feels a little too personal, like it feels a little private, like showing yourself naked to someone. It's like a, a, it's a little embarrassing. Feels a little embarrassing, you know? Yeah, that's how I feel. This is me. What's in here? That makes it weird for me to film in here too because it's really a matter of limiting reality. And when I get requests for it, I sometimes get... At least two couples have asked to be married in here in Adventure Wolf, which is what I call my little studio. And I haven't actually said no to that. Instead I've said it sounds interesting, and then it's gone nowhere. Both proposals... I don't see it as a holy place or anything. For me, I mean, it would be extremely cool to marry someone in here. But, you know, it's not a chapel or anything, a small sheet metal container in my garden. Uh, what would I say about this now? Oh, but it must. This must happen in the chamber, my motionless chamber. This is indeed an oasis, a place where I can be completely myself. In here. At the same time, there is another place where I can be even more myself and where I am truly motionless as long as the doors and walls are intact. And that's a little more amorphous task. I mean, the inner room where I'm trying to go. For example, when I feel that the world is a little too intrusive and that's where the boarding of this train takes place. When you step on this train, by the way, which is a night train. Yeah, how fun. It's been several years since I even thought about night trains, so... Every day when we wake up, we gather in the world. A different place, a completely new place. I must tell myself this all the time, that I know nothing. Today, anything can happen, for better or for worse. I 
am a leaf in the wind and that is how it should be. It's like one of those old-fashioned 1800s trains. It's long and narrow. And there's... I wonder when I last did that, took one of those old-fashioned trains. It must have been 25 years since I last did it at High Chaparral and before that, I was just a child. I did it at one of those tourist spots with an old preserved railway. Or what was it called? What was it called? It was somewhere in Sweden where you could ride in an old-fashioned train. Iron. Iron. Can't remember. Anyway. What I remember most clearly, besides the fact that it goes slower than you think a train goes, especially considering how, how everyone screamed and shouted alarmingly when the new, these old trains came, and therefore were new. People were worried that such high speeds would not be manageable for the human brain or body. And then the trains went 40 kilometers per hour. Or what do I know? Trains in the 1800s maybe traveled at the speed of light. I wasn't there, so I don't know. I am... Well, what I remember then, besides that it goes so slowly and the very strong smell of iron, both from the wheels, but also from the engine and all the parts in the carriages. And so is... And so the smell of wood or coal. So... The carriages are very narrow, much narrower than trains are now. If you got on one of those old-fashioned, in quotes, friendly trains, and compared it with the trains that move on the tracks now, you would feel that they are small, the old ones. So they, or were they big maybe? Even if you're riding a contemporary train, it can be cramped sometimes. But these trains are very much narrower or what do I know? Old trains may have been as wide as soccer fields. I wasn't there, so I don't know. The carriages are dark. Every window has a small curtain that you can keep out the light with. And the sounds from the wheels and the engines are also of a completely different kind than the sounds that we are used to associating with trains. Or more correctly... Now when you're riding a modern train, you don't have these wheels that make a double beat under the train. Another sound, a more irregular clanging. Partly because there are, partly because there are many more components in these old trains or in the old cars or whatever it is. You can tell that I'm just making this up because I have no idea. It's been 20 years since I traveled by an old fashioned train and it's boring. But it's a sound that is both strange and familiar at the same time. As if there is some kind of collective memory of what it was like to travel 200 years ago. It's the wheels spinning over the track and a low rumble. From all of the thousands of screws and murmurs and pistons and cylinders and other individual components that together create this humming. Screeching driven, 
the momentum measured as a train is. When you step on board this night train, it feels like you have stepped into another country. As long as the train is still, you hear nothing. Especially if we are completely alone on the entire train like we are now. Everything is silent. Not this mandatory clicking from elements and wires in new trains. It smells old-fashioned. We may hear a sound from someone, far away, as shouting something to someone else. When I was a teenager, right on the border of 20, I had a thought that sometimes could cling to me and wouldn't leave me any peace. It was, I could take the bus, for example, and then I could pass a sign. So I could think that that sign, it still stands now, even though I've passed it and can't see it anymore. And the fact that it was completely peripheral and unimportant to me made it, it became, it became an obsession with that. I couldn't release it. It felt like I was holding its existence, the existence of the sign between my thumb and index finger. I could feel like it was up to me if I wanted it to continue to exist or not, and it gave me an incredible sense of responsibility. It's not like anyone else on this bus. Bus number 740 from a rock to a hard place. I went to school at the rock and my home was at the hard place was thinking about that sign and probably no one else outside. It was me. It was up to me to keep this sign existing. And I could immerse myself in how this sign felt. Little so I still feel today when, for example, I sit on an old-fashioned train and hear someone for me, completely unknown person, shout something I don't hear to, I presume, another person outside the carriage somewhere far away, in another universe, maybe. Then I can feel that that call, that communication, it's not, it doesn't exist unless I register it. And as soon as I have registered it, it's not enough, I must find out what it is. I must find out what the meaning, origin and intention of that communication was. Otherwise it is meaningless, this is a... It's a pretty stressful feeling, but it's fun to fantasize about and talk about in a little more general terms. That there is a, that it's a little fun to have a brain. I can generally feel that I prefer to have a brain rather than not have it every day of the week. Sometimes I go to some museum alone. I really like it. It's one of the nicest things about being alone. Then I get to stand and read the plaques and be fascinated by things and ponder and fantasize without anyone saying, can't we go and look at the dolphins instead? If there are dolphins at the museum, which is unusual unless it's a dolphin museum and those don't grow on trees, to quote an old hit song, Dolphin Museum doesn't grow on trees because the world is full of peas. Something like that. But then I can feel when I'm walking around, for example, at the historical museum in Stockholm where I was. That's the museum I was at last. 
then I can feel when I'm walking around there that there's almost too much information. I can feel completely messed up right in the head. Because now that I'm here, I want to know and take in and understand everything that's in here. It feels like a waste of gigantic proportions not to want to enter a corridor in a certain exhibition. And so on. This is naturally even worse in really large museums. For example, the historical museum in Berlin. I've been there twice. I have not managed, have not managed to cover everything and get a sense of the entire German history. But every time I've been there, I have felt that I can't. I have to read every sign. I have to look at every object. I have to get an adequate understanding of what each exhibition means for world history, for the country itself. A so-called Sisyphus project. Sisyphus is the one who has to roll this stone up the big hill every day. And every day when he comes up, the stone rolls down again. A big heavy stone. I have always thought that that is described as a punishment, a punishment that Sisyphus has been awarded. He is sentenced to this punishment to do this forever. And it's clear that it's not very joyful, but I can sometimes feel a little bit because I myself lead a very routine life these days where I do the same things over and over again. I record these episodes, I, I do what I do, and I'm very happy with it. So there might be something comforting in the sense that tomorrow is a new day and I will do this again. I think that he... Sisyphus, that is. He can't always feel that this stone is heavy and sucks. He has to get used to it, to roll the stone up the hill. It must be normalized for him. Carry the stone, that's his life now. He must have his tricks. He must know the way and the hill so that he knows exactly where he should roll for it to be as easy as possible. He has made it into something very easy for himself. And in the meantime, he has come up with different strategies, thought strategies throughout the day and the length of the hill that makes it comfortable for him. That's how we work, you. You, you don't go around and suffer without interruption. I think that can be a comfort to feel when I feel bad myself, that it won't be like this all the time. The brain solves it for you. Sometimes the brain needs help if you, if you are depressed, for example. But I'm talking about the normal comfort, pleasure, boredom we go around with. Life becomes like an uphill and we do what we can to make this uphill brighter. I can sometimes think that in connection with this advantage of having a brain, it is, sometimes I can feel that, but I have to keep going up the hill with myself, carry myself up a hill, like a block of stone, one in that case, or the world, or what I would say about it. So I think Sisyphus does that too. And then he comes to the top of the hill when the day is over 
and then the stone rolls down again. And I mean, it must be something incredibly positive for him. Think how nice it is to be up there, roll up the last one, and then just drop the stone and watch it roll down. It must be a positive feeling for him, not negative. Typical, the stone rolled down again. I don't think he thinks that. He probably thought that in the first hundred times in different stages. And then when it gets tough, sometimes he feels this, I can't do this anymore and... But... But he's been doing this for all recorded time. He must be 4,000 years old, if not older. He has been rolling that stone for more than 4,000 years. He knows how to do it now. It's like there's no, no point in feeling sorry for Sisyphus. He rolls up that stone. He thinks about what he's going to eat. He gets to the top when he gets to the top. It's almost meditative for him to roll with the stone. And as he's rolling, he sings to himself in a low voice to make everything lighter. Of course, he has his ways. Naturally, it's impossible to furnish rooms for him since he has been alone with the rock for such a long time. It's not many who invite Sisyphus to events such as christening or weddings or even just a regular dinner. It's boring to have him at dinner parties because all he talks about is the rock and he mumbles so much that you can barely hear what he's saying. He's socially deviant in that way, but he can be really good with this rock. He knows the rock. It's the same rock every day. When he reaches the top, he takes a break. Then he has dinner up on the mountaintop, watches the sunset, and hears the rock roll down the hill pleasantly. Settling back into the same place, waiting for him the next day. And after he's eaten well, maybe even had a warm cup of tea, he rolls himself into a little ball and rolls down the hill in the rock's path. It's almost like a sled track that the rock has ploughed into the hill so he can just roll himself up. Then he rolls down and as he rolls, he falls asleep. The so-called rolling sleep. And wakes up next to the rock. And I think for him it's a sense of security I think he'd panic if suddenly the rock was taken away and someone said, You're free, Sisyphus. Now you have an apartment and a normal job. Let's say a telephone technician, with different challenges that require some expertise, but also flexibility, a driver's license, and the ability to climb poles without fear of heights. And cell towers. Then he would... Well, that wouldn't be any good at all, would it? As you walk down the narrow corridor on the train, there are doors leading to different compartments. And inside you can glimpse people sitting in their own small worlds. I like that. It's so cosy in the Harry Potter movies. In the books, of course, first and foremost. But it's been several years since I read the books. However, my daughter and I often watch the movies now. She likes them, 
It's so cozy with those train compartments where the students are sitting before school starts. I get a tingling feeling of jealousy when I see that it's the start of school. How I always felt hope at the start of every school year and then, and then that feeling of being part of a group. I never felt that when I, not when I was in elementary school, but I have such memories from high school. I even think there's an old movie where we're sitting in a train compartment. We're going to London. We're sitting on a train to Gothenburg in high school. And I just remember a clip of me where I'm sitting and telling about someone sailing. Because we were supposed to take a boat from Gothenburg to Harwich. And then I was the only one who had taken a boat, like, ever. As far as I know. All the others had flown to different countries. But I, in ninth grade, had taken a boat. No, eighth grade. Had taken a boat to Finland, and that was my reference then. So I'm sitting and telling the others, worldly, how it is to look out a window and only see the sea. Like, I can't reasonably have experienced that. Since that moment when you only see the sea on the way between Stockholm and Helsinki is vanishingly small, if it exists at all. You hear the sound of someone turning a wheel far away in the train. You have a feeling that someone in here is waiting for something, and when you reach the doors, you open them anyway. Well, we are doing it now anyway. And there you meet Mr. Lady. Mr. Lady and his strange pets. Here you have two grey-haired cats with you in the compartment. And a small guinea pig that walks around in the compartment freely without any ropes, cages or shackles. Mr. Lady is on his way to his daughter. And he tells you that he has been to many different places searching for his daughter. But she has never been at the stations where he has stepped off. He has stepped off the platform. He has called his daughter's name, which he does not want to reveal. It's private, he says. He has stood on the platform until the conductor has blown his little whistle and with aggressive and aggressively stiff gestures, he has urged him to get back on the train. He sleeps here in the compartment and he has been traveling continuously for 25 years, he tells you. He has not found his daughter. She is... Is it 25 years since he saw her? But he has not been able to let go of her. So he has been traveling continuously. The sound of movement, hissing and pounding, has been his life's music for 25 years. The cats and the small guinea pig have been his only companions besides the other colorful passengers on this night train. And you understand when you move around here, I am with you, but I'm just a little... I have mostly some kind of introductory role here. It's not that you and I are experiencing this together, but I already know the entire train. I, 
I'm more like an instructor when you learn a new profession or tool. Like when you sit next to someone when they're practicing driving. A bus where I'm the one sitting beside. When you say that you, that you are looking for your compartment, then Mr. Lady says he can help. He tells the cats and the small guinea pig to hold their positions. Hold the fort here, he says. And then he closes and locks his compartment door with a habit that only someone who has lived in the same compartment for 25 years can show. And then you go out and I'll go somewhere behind and play with my phone a little bit half-heartedly. The adventure is yours, not mine. After a while, the train slows down as you move through the narrow corridor outside the compartments. And Mr. Lady prepares to get off and call for his daughter. He says he doesn't know the name of the station. He almost never knows the name of the station anymore. He has stopped registering names, but it is always different. This is a train that never stops more than once, at each stop. This means that it is an eternal train traveling through all imaginable and unimaginable places, always during a night and during an eternity. And when you look out, you see, in a nighttime city, that looks quite a lot like London. Though London from long ago, London at the end of the 1800s, you see gardens and buildings that slowly pass by outside the window. And then the train stops. Some people get on, moving like distant shadows in the murky corridor. They talk quietly with each other, laughing a little on the side. And then it jerks. A little too much, you think, for it to be pleasant. So you grab Mr. Lady's arm. He laughs because he's completely used to it. He says, it's best to hold on here, especially in the beginning. How long will you be on the train? That's the thing. Nobody knows how long they will be on the train. And to be honest, then it's not important how long you're on the train. What's important is what you do on the train, isn't it? I could say, is it not about what is actually important? That question does not exist. There is only one fact. You are on the train with Mr. Lady, right here, right now. No one knows what happens around the bend. Either you find the compartment or you have to sleep in the corridor. And then suddenly you find your cabin and you say goodbye to Mr. Lady. I knew you would find it, he says. He has left the train and is calling for his daughter. And then you hear her name, the daughter's name. But you choose not to think. Think about letting the name be reflected in your own brain. So you forget it immediately. It was private. As soon as you hear the name, it disappears. It doesn't stick. A fleeting name. A name that never found a place to attach. 
there was no structure to hang the memory on. And so you enter your compartment. A small, cozy cabin with three beds and a small table. On the table stands a teapot and a pair of cups. On the wall hangs a small mirror. You immediately feel safe on this cozy little place and you have also booked to be here alone. You pour some tea and pull a cozy soft blanket over you and sit in really a luxurious old-fashioned train. Now the train is going pretty fast and you notice how it crinkles with snow slush against the window. It could just as well be under the water outside, in a black sea. It's like someone has pressed their big hand against the window and blocked all the light. You see nothing. Except that it started to snow outside and it's the snow that rustles and crackles against the window. You see the snow swirling against the window and it feels like you are protected in here from the outside world. I often think that bad weather accentuates the feeling of being protected. That you are safe. I know there are people who are afraid of bad weather. I was when I was little. It was a real snowstorm. In my childhood home. When I was perhaps 10 or 11 years old and after that I was afraid of snowstorms. But now I am not anymore. I think it is very cozy. It is like I feel safe when the thunder goes. I feel safe when the rain tears and the wind roars in the roof tiles. And you feel the wind tugging at the train, but it can't shake it. Just lightly, just lightly. This makes the train and carriages tremble like a little shiver, but it does not affect the feeling of stability in the carriage. You feel very calm. Then you think, of course, that you should try in bed. Lay yourself in bed in one of the beds. What is so nice about such compartments with three beds is that you can choose for yourself which one you want to lie in as long as you have booked to be alone in the compartment, and of course you have. So you try sitting and lying in all the beds. And they are not like the more traditional sleeping compartments, but they are all floor-fixed and already made up and cosy like in a hotel room. Beds positioned in the room. In the end, you choose the one that... But you have to think about it. What is the nicest? So here you imagine yourself. So it doesn't feel silly that I describe. But if you think that you should have a view of the window, but you can't be in a position that makes you feel some kind of discomfort because the door is behind you, or... I often think... You lie with your head towards the short end of the room where the door is. And then you have a view of the window. 
It is cosy. So you turn off everything in the compartment and you watch the snowflakes flying in and out of the light cone outside the window. And when you have completely turned off the lights, you go up and stand in the middle of the floor. Then you can see the light from the cabin next door, casting itself over the snowdrifts and trees outside, which flit by only as short little glimpses in the darkness. And you feel so free that you stand here in the midst of a rushing, a rushing series of events. Trees, thread, snow, light, bark, wind. The train keeps you completely safe. At the same time as you move through all this, at not a very high speed, but still a speed, and you stand and are completely sheltered and invisible in the midst of all this, in the dark cabin. And then you go, lie down again and try to decide not to fall asleep, but you decide that you're going to watch the snow, you're going to record it. You're going to make it real, keep it in existence. Each individual snowflake should get a place in your consciousness and then you fall asleep, of course, immediately. Almost immediately, you begin to dream. Dreaming that Miss Boy comes into the cabin with a woven grass bag. She sees you, but she doesn't seem to care that you're there. She quickly hides something in the bag, puts it on the small table between the teacups, and then she goes out again. You dream that you squint your eyes to try to distinguish the woven grass bag. And then you start to hear sounds from carriage too. The carriage where anything can happen. Reality escaping carriage. You hear laughter. Talk and someone crying. You wonder if you should go there. You get FOMO. But you don't know if you want to know. You don't know if you feel that it might be too great a burden to go in there, but in the end, you get up anyway. And in your nightgown, you move, barefoot through the night-shrouded corridors. After a while, you reach first class. There you see a man and a woman sitting close to each other and talking. They look very happy, and you wonder where they're going, how long they've been on this night train and what they have come from. They seem to be very familiar with each other and you feel a little envious. Now you're in the locomotive. It's a large room with a big fireplace in the center and piles of coal scattered everywhere and a woman standing in the middle of the cab staring out the window. She looks very tired. And you wonder if this is the conductor? And if so, is she doomed to always be here on the train? Is she like Sisyphus, who has come to see this as her heir, as water is to fish? She looks like she wants to sleep. But you instinctively understand that she can't do it when the train is in motion. It turns out that conductors on this train line just like the passengers, work for a limited time. But limited time is also eternal time. 
It depends on the perspective, from the beginning or end. This conductor is named Lisette and is on her way to see her father, who she hasn't seen in many years. And then you hear music in the distance. Spherical, dreamy music, and Lisette says, Oh, the music is playing so joyfully, hopefully. One day we will find out why everything happens and get answers to our questions. Imagine finally, finally knowing. Finally knowing. And now the dream gets a bit fuzzy and you feel that it's not as much to hold on to anymore. The walls and surfaces, all the surfaces around the floor and the big burning oven, all the coal becomes in a way not unsteady in an unpleasant way, not melting or falling apart, but less reliable. A bit like when you meet a person who is maybe a boss or an organizer that you already know. But this person is someone who has, at least what you suspect, more answers than they want to share. It feels like the surfaces around you have more answers than they want to share, which creates a feeling that you don't have all the facts on the table, and thus also not quite trusting that what you're experiencing is completely reliable. And that's where you realize that you're dreaming. And then you wake up. In your cozy cabin. You hear the rattling and rumbling of the wheels under the car. People have just passed by in the matte-clad corridors outside. It smells old-fashioned. You feel secure in the cozy compartment. The only difference is the grass-woven bag that Miss Boy brought in and still stands in the compartment. So you get up. What is this? And you look out the window of the compartment towards the corridor. There's a small town partially hidden behind a curtain. And there you see a little further down the corridor. I'm standing and looking out the window towards the raging snow. In the rushing night and you feel that everything is calm. Henrik is guarding you. And you can go back into the compartment and reach for the yellowed grass woven bag. It's just a small buckle a small snap. And when you've opened it, it sounds a little like when you gently snap with the small silver tongs as you take sugar. An old-fashioned, ornate, delicate, if you happen to touch one with a crystal glass. And when you look into the bag, there's a small note inside. And you pick up the note are very carefully knotted by a velvet ribbon. And on the note it says, it is what it is. 
and when you read it, it feels like someone is stroking your back. Starting at the back of your head, down your neck and down your back. A reassuring stroke. But it is, it's a stroke with emphasis, which makes you feel a strong conviction that everything will be okay, everything will work out. And that nothing is dangerous, nothing at all. Because it is what it is. And there is only one fact to consider. You are on the train, right here, right now. Along with Mr. Lady and Miss Boy, and all the other known and unknown passengers, each on their way to their own destination. On the train that only travels for one night and an eternity. And when it's time for your destination, you will feel that it is home for you. Then you will have to consider another fact. And then it will also be as it is. And here I get off the train. Not because it is my destination or anything like that, but because there are several trains and I'm moving on to another train. There is, in fact, an unexplored, invisible set of trains. It's an unlimited, an unlimited selection. Endless, countless night trains pop up. It's more fun on the train than outside the train. The great thing about the night train is that it only moves at night. Which automatically means that you are protected and hidden by the darkness, by the general disinterest. It will sound strange now, considering my job, but I long for it in some way. To be completely uninteresting, like not uninteresting in any kind of self-image version, but like a stone on a forest path that can only be held by passing by, someone looking at it. But then it lets go, and then you can be completely, completely, completely untouched. Sometimes I think about a certain American presidential candidate. I wonder if he could ever think like that. If he ever does. He has stood somewhere taken honor and glory from another person in order to win some strange competition. I wonder if he feels then, now it would be lovely to be a stone in the forest and just feel how the evening slowly arrives and how the loons call out over the lake a little further down 
and not feel any longing anymore. Not feel any... No longing to rush after all the others on the path. But to be completely satisfied right where one is. Completely still for as long as one wants. Yes, that would be lovely. Or it seems lovely in my imagination because I'm not there either. I'm on the move. But still, one day I will also sit down and be a stone in the forest. And that's the end of today's episode of Fall Asleep with Henrik. I hope you enjoyed it and found it relaxing and entertaining. If you did, please leave a review on the platform of your choice. Your feedback means a lot to me and helps me improve the show. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram and YouTube for more updates and behind-the-scenes content. This podcast is an adaptation of a Swedish podcast by the same name, and if you heard any grammatical or pronunciation errors in this episode, it's because I'm Swedish and I do the translations myself. If you have any feedback for me, just reach out to me on my social media and I'll respond. So with that being said, sleep tight, and I'll see you in the next episode of Fall Asleep with Henrik. <laughs>